and welcome to Mash Mouth, a podcast covering every single episode of the hit 1970s sitcom, Mash. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Ethan. Ethan, okay, so we do this at the top of every season. I wanted to ask you, what are some of the episodes that you would introduce someone to who's never seen an episode of MASH before? Okay, so obviously it's getting a little like trickier as we're getting deeper into the show <laughs> because uh, yeah. we're not quite in that, that baby phase of like, well, where you still have to introduce all the characters kind of thing. Um, and I tried to differentiate that from uh, my top five episodes of the last season. Mm-hmm. So I have a few like additions, really. Um, but mine are OR, Rainbow Bridge, Alcoholics Unanimous, Adam's Rib, Private Charles Lamb, Bombed, and Payday. I feel like that kind of covers the spectrum of the show of like having these more serious like military focused episodes while still being like light and fun for the most part. Mm-hmm. I like I didn't mm-hmm. want to include Abyssinia Henry or the aid station episode because i felt like those were a little too (laughs) kind of serious you know like a little too like full-on drama (laughs) yes i'm laughing at you because i can't wait for you to hear mine um (laughs) okay okay well what are yours then (laughs) so so it's interesting to me that you did you mostly sorry this is just for you did you pick only like season three episodes Oh, yeah. I thought we were just doing season three episodes. Oh, oh. no. I, we were doing all of them. Oh, wow. Well, that's a little that's a little deep in the hedges now. <laughs> I have to, like, remember season two and one. Yeah, I went back. I went back and looked at all the episodes. Okay. Well, I'll hear your list, and then... Uh, yeah, so mine might be a little bit uh, more out there than yours, I guess. So mine are Yankee Doodle Doctor, Sometimes You Hear the Bullet, Deal Me Out, OR, Aid Station, and Payday. Okay, okay. So yeah, so I think that we had said previously you don't want to introduce someone to Sometimes You Hear the Bullet, but I no. feel like at this point... Well, now point, we're deep in it. Yeah, we're so deep in it. Um, I think that Yankee Doodle Doctor is one that's so good from the first season. I really, I really love that episode. I think it captures the heart of the early episodes especially because it is so early on and then the rest are ones that are maybe goofier but also some that have that real (laughs) hard-hitting uh mash episode vibe to it i guess Mm -hmm. um so yeah so so that's me well i apologize (laughs) i misunderstood the assignment it's okay (laughs) so i think from season one i would do yankee doodle doctor and uh tuttle uh, is one you haven't mm-hmm. mentioned. And yes, sometimes you hear the bullet. And then season two, I don't really remember like offhand of like mm-hmm. what big ones would be. But I think the uh, first episode from season two, I don't remember the name offhand, was like mm-hmm. a good repilot kind of uh, introduction. Maybe I'll like edit in the names of these while I'm editing. <laughs> um, yeah. But the one where they think they're leaving, I think is a really good episode too. Oh, that's a really good one too. I like that one. That was uh that was the one where Trapper was just like, This isn't gonna happen. This isn't yeah. gonna happen. This isn't that's gonna happen. A really that was good that one. was a really good one. I like that one too. Um yeah, so it's it's so hard to kind of figure out which ones that you would show everybody um, mm-hmm. or somebody who wouldn't know MASH at all. So yeah, th- this is always one of my favorite yeah. things to kind of think about and do. Um, 
And if our listeners have any episodes that they would show someone who's never seen MASH before, please let us know because I'm always so curious. Mm -hmm. Okay, Ethan. So now that we've discussed what episodes from the past we would show someone who's never seen MASH, let's talk about this episode of MASH that you have actually never seen before today. (laughs) Yeah, we're fully in new territory, which is very fun. That's so exciting. So in this episode, or episodes actually, because we are covering Welcome to Korea, part one and two, Hawkeye rushes to say goodbye to Trapper after learning Trap got his orders to go home. Hawkeye and Radar meet Trapper's replacement, Captain BJ Honeycutt, and corrupt him, or save him, depending on how you look at it, before Frank can get his grubby little ferret paws on him. So Ethan, I'm so curious. What did you think about this episode? Okay, so obviously I am like a babe in the woods watching this for the first time (laughs) as you would in 1975, I think is when this roughly Mm -hmm. came out. And I have to say that I really liked this uh, set of episodes. I thought it was a great kind of reintroduction to the show, reintroduction to the characters. And I really like how they introduce uh, BJ in these episodes because it wasn't uh hacky like it wasn't like overdone it was just like hey here's a new guy and we're gonna learn to like him a lot and we'll get more into that like later on but like i think the worst thing a tv show can do is be like hey here's a new character and you're gonna love him don't worry he's the best Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. where you know it's very clearly trying to fill the void of the missing characters but this one it's more of like Yes, Trapper's gone and we miss him, but here's BJ and we'll learn to like him as we go on. Yes, I haven't seen this episode in a while. So I was really blown away by how well the writers transitioned BJ into Trapper's role. And I don't even think necessarily that it's even a transition so much into BJ being Trapper. He is filling his shoes in a way, but he is such a a distinct, Mm -hmm. different character from who Trapper is. So I really, really appreciated how well the writers did. And I think that having Hawkeye almost be kind of just blasé about BJ coming to the camp and uh, being there and having him so focused on Trapper and saying goodbye to Trapper while BJ is there is such a good kind of it feels so genuine and so realistic and also just a very good kind of like I said transition into BJ kind of filling that role a little bit more yeah definitely I like that this allows Hawkeye the character to also miss Trapper Mm -hmm. I feel like when you do this like when a character leaves a show and you introduce like their replacement I feel like the thing that a lot of people try to do is like, okay, don't feel sad. We have this new guy. Mm -hmm. And like the fact that this episode is entirely about like how devastated Hawkeye is that he is now missing Trapper and didn't even get to say goodbye to him, like makes it easier to accept that there is someone coming along because really Hawkeye is like the audience here where he's blindsided by by Trapper leaving as much as like anybody watching the show and maybe not following uh, the, you know, production secrets or whatever of, mm-hmm. you know, Wayne Rogers leaving and being replaced and stuff like that. So he's upset and we're upset. But then, you know, over the course of the episode, he does come to be like, hey, 
this guy is uh this guy's all right. I can drink with him. I can uh hang out with him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I think this episode was really really well done. And I think that we should get into kind of the top of the episode because we said this previously, right, that all of the first episodes of the season are kind of like repiloting the whole series, but this one felt so specifically like a pilot for the rest of the series because we have these major, major shifts in characters, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, two main characters leaving the show and being replaced by two other main characters that you're going to see for the remainder of the series. And I really loved how they reintroduced words on the screen um, Mm -hmm. for this episode. I love that it was almost like a callback to the pilot episode, but just like two years later instead. I thought that that was so brilliant. Yeah, because the first episode begins with 1950, the Korean War, 100 years ago. And this opens with text, uh, like a quote about, I think, the Korean War. I forget specifically Mm -hmm. what it says, but it was like a nice uh, prologue kind of book epigraph to this new series, you know, this new version of the show where it is Mm -hmm. a a real reintroduction because we get a lot of, uh, like, not new information, but a lot of reestablished information. Like, we'll we'll talk about this, but this is very much about BJ kind of acclimating to the uh, environment of Korea where we didn't get to see that uh, really with Hawkeye, Trapper, and... You know, the yes. rest of the 4077 in the first episode of the show. So, like, really, this is, like, the introduction that we never actually got because mm-hmm. the, the first season started and they are already there for a couple months. Yes, I agree with you. I noted this a lot in this episode. And we'll get to that in more of the tail end of this episode, dis- that discussion. But to go back to the words for a second on the screen, I think that the quote from General Bliss was so ominous because it said Korea, the worst place in the world or yeah, some, yeah, yeah. something along those lines. And of course, you know, Korea is not the worst place in the world. Um, but just like in that time during that war, it was, it was so terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have some information on General Bliss and why that quote means so much at the Ooh. beginning of this episode. Um, and I'll get to that in trivia. So it, it's, okay. it's so interesting to me that they included this quote from Eisenhower about him going to Korea and also General Bliss. So I think that this was, like I said, just brilliant from the writers. Yeah. But I also really liked how they shoot right from this really a little ominous, sorrowful, kind of just calm right into the comedy of this episode um, and reintroducing us to who all these characters are. I thought that that was very, very in the typical MASH fashion. Mm-hmm. I really like, uh, you know, Frank in charge. We finally get to see Frank kind of have everything he ever wanted. And everyone else is like, oh, no. Uh, but they're also kind of used <laughs> to it because it's been a bit. Um, yeah. But I love the, this very simple joke of him saying, oh, you're two seconds later than last time. And then Father Mulcahy being like, oh, my watch says that we're two seconds early. <laughs> and, you know, they have the argument, but obviously Frank, like, respects 
uh, Mulcahy more than like anyone else in camp because he's you know <laughs> uh, a religious man and just the uh, just a little bit of tension there is so funny to me that he doesn't <laughs> want to like yell at him or like argue. But he's also like, well, I'm the dictator of this camp. Like, I need to be the one to <laughs> be in charge. It was so, it's a great reintroduction to the the frank, uh, power-hungry dynamic, you know? Yeah, and that's what I really liked about this, too. Everyone is kind of being introduced as their typical character. So it feels very typical for us, but maybe somebody who um, has not seen the show before or is coming back to the show after a long time, kind of gets that reestablishment that Frank is power hungry and tries to be regular army in his way, that Radar is just following orders of whoever is in command because, of course, he's he is doing everything that Frank asks him to do very, you know, religiously, basically. <laughs> that Klinger is that is dressed as Klinger does and mm-hmm. Hawkeye is not taking Frank seriously at all and Margaret is kind of just being behind Frank, but actually being the muscle, which we'll get into a little bit later. I just thought that this was such a such a good introduction to everybody. I love Margaret being the muscle, that she is the uh, the woman <laughs> in charge behind the she scenes, and not even secretly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but I also want to say that it took me a second to realize that these are all the characters that we have so far um Mm. that um i i felt like somebody was missing and people were missing hawkeye or not hawkeye trapper and henry are not there i was like oh this this isn't introducing us all to these characters but they're not there anymore so So, of course. Way to make me sad, Vanessa. Way to way to bring down the mood. Yeah. Well, it, it was it was just such a funny realization as I was watching the episode. I was like, huh, something feels like, you know, they're missing. Like, why aren't they introducing these other characters? Like, who are they? Who are they? Instinctively thinking that Hawkeye, not Hawkeye. Oh, my God. That Henry and Trapper are just going to be there. And why aren't they introducing them? Oh, yeah. So that was that was upsetting. <laughs> yes. Um, we'll get into this like way down the road. I apologize if this is so like jumping ahead. But another thing that I liked about this episode is that it didn't feel too busy. Like it wasn't trying mm-hmm. to cram in both uh, BJ and uh, Colonel Potter, who will meet like in an entirely different episode. Yes. Like this is kind of reintroducing the status quo, saying, like, what the version of the show would be if Frank was in charge, introducing BJ, and then saving the the new command for later. Like, it wasn't overly concerned with uh, jumping into what the new status quo will eventually be with Potter. Yeah, I think that because Trapper leaving the show was kind of a monumental thing, not kind of it it really was and having the introduction of bj and having frank take command and whatnot i think that it would have been too busy if we had tried to introduce colonel potter as well and we wouldn't have been able to have these like really great moments with bj and kind of introducing who bj was and this idea of war and stuff like that that we get in the second part of this episode that we'll talk about but i want to talk about when Hawkeye finds out that Trapper got his orders Mm -hmm. because that was very gut-wrenching. I don't know how you felt about that, but I was quite sad. See, I I did know that 
uh, Trapper leaves the show without saying goodbye to Hawkeye. That's just like one of the things that I knew kind of going in. But I didn't know like how that happens, like how he leaves. Like I thought this would open up and Trapper would be gone and like Hawkeye would know that. Like I was not expecting this kind of surprise that like Hawkeye gets home from R&R and immediately jumps in the shower with all his clothes on, which is very, very funny and very weird and very Hawkeye to do. And, you know, Radar's giving him this like insane, like, we tried to call you, we tried to call you kind of manic, worried little speech to him. And he's like, I don't care. Just yell at Trapper. And like, he's like, Trapper's gone. And he is just instantly devastated of like, oh, oh, no. It's so sad because Hawkeye looks really hurt. And he says, like, Trapper didn't say goodbye. He didn't he leave a note or anything Mm -hmm. for me. And it was it was just so upsetting because you see the disappointment in Hawkeye's face. Like, I can't I can't believe that one of my best friends did this. Mm -hmm. And I kind of get it that Trapper would have had to get home. He, He waited as long as he could for Hawkeye to come back, but they couldn't get a hold of him. So he wasn't going to delay any further because, of course, he didn't want to miss his flight. But I think that this kind of also comes back to what we were talking about in the finale of last season with Henry and Radar, that it's probably hard for them to admit that they are going to miss somebody Mm -hmm. from something that is so terrible that they're not supposed to miss at all the the normal thing would be to have just like a singular focus go home and that's it and deal with any emotions or like not deal with any emotions that they might have about missing that terrible place so i do kind of get it but i always hated that trapper left without even writing a note i i hated that so much and i felt like it was super out of character but the more i think about it i don't know if it was i I don't think necessarily that it was out of character for trapper to leave and not leave a note for hawkeye what do you think about that i mean as we've talked about there was the kind of not problem but there was the consistent thing of trapper and hawkeye kind of being the same guy Mm -hmm. but there was the occasional like darkness in Trapper that Hawkeye doesn't have. Like Trapper's more willing to kind of go to dark places. He's more willing to be pessimistic about things. Like the episode where they think they're leaving, he's just like, no, we're not doing that. And mm-hmm. I think that this, even if it wasn't intentional, right, kind of goes into that uh, darkness that Trapper has of just like, okay, whatever. He's not answering the phone. I can't get a hold of him. I'm not going to write a note because, like, I can maybe send him a letter. Like, he'll, he'll hear from me. I need to go now. Like, I'm sure he was upset about it, right? But he doesn't have the kind of romanticism or the optimism that, like, Hawkeye tends to have when it comes to uh, leaving. Because he's already kind of been through the uh, the ringer before with them thinking he's leaving or the one where he has an ulcer. So he probably was like... If I don't leave now, they're going to make me stay. So I'm just going to book it, <laughs> um, which I think is very in character for him. Yeah, I think it's also we have talked about this a little bit before, too, in the subtle differences between Hawkeye and Trapper, that Hawkeye 
is this bachelor. He's unattached. Like he has his, uh, like his dad and his. Well, he's supposed to have a mom and a sister, but we'll we'll establish that he doesn't. Um, <laughs> but so canonically, he has his dad back home, and Trapper has this whole life kind mm-hmm. of back in his home. So I feel like it almost makes sense because. Trapper has more of a grounded reality back home while this is kind of Hawkeye's growing up moment where he is establishing those bonds and it might feel stronger, I guess, for him than it necessarily would for someone like Trapper who has, you know, family back home. Trapper's established. Hawkeye really isn't. Like, they use the Mm -hmm. bachelor... Thing to kind of more justify why he's sleazy towards women and kind of give him more of a pass than than Trapper has or most people on the base. But in this episode, like he does mention to BJ that like he loves everybody there, mm-hmm. like he cares about everybody there, mainly because at this moment in his life, as a like call it thirty year old single guy, like these are his family, and Trapper yeah. has a family. Um, so it obviously would I prefer there to be like a final trapper scene where he gets to say goodbye or like leaves a note that's like very funny and like very trapper. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I think just as a like dramedy storytelling tool of having this really bittersweet ending to like one of our favorite characters in the show, mm-hmm. I think it works because this is going to like linger over the rest of the series and, like, give Hawkeye, like, some kind of, you know, when the time comes for him to leave, he's going to want to give this more finality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think it, like, works from a storytelling point. Like, yeah, it makes me upset, but I, I like that it makes me upset. I like how they weren't, yeah. like, super interested in making me happy. <laughs> yeah, I also think it's... Probably realistic, too. I mean, I don't have any firsthand experience, of course, uh, to back this up. And I'm not sure. I don't know for sure. But I would assume that, you know, your friends that you make in the service, you don't always get a chance to say goodbye to them. Mm -hmm. Maybe for reasons like we see in this episode. Um, So I would say that that's probably a realistic thing that they portrayed in this episode. Yes. I think so as well. Like, this is a very, like, you're not going to get to say goodbye to everybody kind of moment. And I just have to say, from a outside perspective, the fact that they killed Henry, like, pretty hardcore, like, very sad. I really like that they just let uh, Trapper go home. He's, like, he's <laughs> yes. out there. He exists. He could send uh, Hawkeye a letter if if he wants to. <laughs> Yeah, and he will have his own show in Trapper John MD. So yes. we'll get the uh, we'll get the years after match from Trapper eventually. One day we'll find that show and we'll watch it, and it'll be a delightful time. <laughs> okay, so after we kind of establish that Trapper is gone, that he left, Hawkeye goes into Frank's office, which again, that's just that that's so weird because it, it that that's Henry's office, you know? That that that's not Frank's office. No, it's I, not. I hate that. It made me feel skeevy. Um so he asks to go say goodbye to Trapper. 
And you know, at this point, instinctively, that Hawkeye is going to do whatever he wants mm-hmm. anyway. So this is really just a formality of him asking Frank, like, hey, listen, I'm taking off. You're going to have to deal with it. And Frank and Margaret are like, no, absolutely not. And of course, he takes off anyway. <laughs> Because there wouldn't be an episode without Hawkeye completely undermining Frank's authority, would there? No, there would never be an episode where things just run smoothly in the 4077. Um, No, obviously, this is very much a formality. And it's such a formality, I'm surprised they even had this scene. I'm surprised that Hawkeye just didn't jump in a jeep and go. And, you know, Frank kind of saying, like, no, you can't was such, like, a jerk move, I felt like. (laughs) If this was Henry, if this was my man Henry, no questions asked, he would be able to go. But, uh, you know, they're off immediately after this to kind of go see Trapper, pick up BJ, kind of one roundabout thing. And I like their little adventure that they go on. Um, And I like how perfunctory everything with kind of Frank and Margaret is after this point. That They're just kind of there... Because they, uh, you know, they're not really in charge, are they, you know? <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about that before. Um, so before Hawkeye kind of hijacks Radar's Jeep to go pick up BJ, because that was kind of the pretense Radar is supposed to be going to pick up BJ from the same place that Trapper is flying out from. So Hawkeye kind of hijacks Radar's Jeep and goes on this uh, <laughs> to go on this adventure. But before we get to that, I just thought it that it was really interesting and kind of uh, kind of deliberate this scene right before Hawkeye bursts into Frank's office of the plaque on the desk reading Frank Burns commanding officer and then having Margaret sit there um, and just doing all the paperwork and being like the actual commanding yeah. officer of the camp um, while Frank is kind of just bitching about everybody and (laughs) kind of just going off and being silly and goofy um, while Margaret is doing the actual work. I loved that. And I thought that it was so something that, again, that we had talked about last season, that this is the closest Margaret's going to get to like actually being the commanding officer, even though she's much more qualified than Frank to do it. But this is like really her only opportunity. And she is very much clearly taking that opportunity to to be mm-hmm. the commanding officer. Yes. Uh, like I said a bit earlier, I really like that she is the woman behind the scenes. But it's not even a secret thing. Like they, everyone <laughs> knows that Margaret is the one in charge. Uh, even Frank to, you know, the extent that Frank can be self-aware of these things. He's like, come on, ever since I became commanding officer, you haven't let me do anything, which <laughs> is such a great, like, little kid temper tantrum line read from Larry Linville. He's very good in this episode, I thought Larry was. He's so funny. But yeah, I, I like Margaret kind of grasping the power because that's what Frank is there for. He's, you know, a hollow man who she can uh, <laughs> puppet around when she wants to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it was so on the nose with that scene of, or with that line of Frank saying, oh, since I became commanding officer, you never let me do anything. Like, of course. <laughs> um, and yeah, so we we just all know that Margaret's the real muscle behind this power duo. Um, so <laughs> besides that, in this scene, after Hawkeye kind of storms out and pretends that he's going to listen to Frank and not go after Trapper to say goodbye, we get 
the it's not a hard introduction it's more of like a soft launch of bj they start describing him Mm -hmm. in like a very i felt realistic way like it, it wasn't an info dump after we already know who he is um it is them kind of reading his personnel file and i i I liked that we kind of get a sense of who he is before he even makes it on screen i like that once again we establish that our two leads are very 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 good doctors um like that he's graduated from stanford top of his class that he's like in charge that he's professional but we know that this man because of uh hawkeye's eventual influence will just become a major goofball and that will be a delight to see. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I loved how Frank and Margaret were so sure that he was not going to be influenced by Hawkeye at all and that uh, he was going to grow up in Frank's image and stuff like that because he's established to be, you know, a young doctor right out of residency. So, uh, and and Frank is just definitely the person who is going to lead him to become this glorious doctor. <laughs> I mean, obviously the cards were stacked against Frank and Margaret from the very beginning because Hawkeye is going on this adventure to meet BJ. He's intending to meet Trapper, but like he's going to be the first one to intercept and kind of lay the land of how the 4077 operates. And (laughs) I really liked uh, this whole kind of little saga that we get on the way to and back from this... uh, I guess deport station. I don't know what it's called, um, but like where where Trapper leaves and where BJ lands. I like that they run into some trouble. Like there's a guard outposted there, and for no good reason, Hawkeye is like, "Oh yeah, I'm transporting Radar, who's very very sick, uh, to this place. Don't worry about it." Even though I'm sure they could just say, "Hey, we're picking up a guy from. Uh, we're bringing him back to our mash unit." That was kind of funny and like very in character for Hawkeye to just never kind of fully go along with the military <laughs> regime, you know? Yeah, um, it was a checkpoint. And instead of having to do all the typical like wasting time checkpoint stuff, he blew through the checkpoint and they stopped him. And he's like, oh, yeah, this guy in the back, he's real sick. So you got to let me go through. And then that'll come into play a little bit later as well, which I thought was a very funny callback. So I loved that Radar was so jovial when they were riding in the Jeep before because or before this checkpoint, because... You know that this is the most fun he's had since Henry left and since Frank took command because Frank is such a psycho. (laughs) He gets to finally experience that uh, Hawkeye kind of jovial fun times that we're (laughs) we're accustomed to, but maybe we're lacking in the last couple months uh, in between seasons or couple weeks. I can't imagine it's been that long. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the little checkpoint adventure is great. And then we get to the outpost or what, whatever it's called, like where BJ is. And I really like how casual this introduction of BJ is and that Hawkeye doesn't even really acknowledge him at first, that he is so focused on Trapper that he's like, I missed him by 10 lousy minutes, I feel is uh, very iconic. I feel like I've seen that a lot. What did you think as someone who has seen a lot of BJ at his sort of reintroduction to the show. So yeah, oh my gosh, I love BJ so much because first 
Hawkeye realizes that he missed Trapper, like you said, by 10 lousy minutes. He he took off 10 minutes before they got there. And it's just like, it's so heartbreaking and so upsetting. And yeah, we had kind of jumped the gun in our discussion a little bit earlier that Hawkeye's not going to see Trapper again, but it really like sets in for you that he's not going to see him again. He's not going to be in the show anymore. It's just, it's very upsetting. But I loved that when Hawkeye meets back up with Radar, he has BJ with him and he tells Radar, oh, I miss Trapper, whatever. And BJ is immediately like, hey, what's going on? Can I help? Is there anything I can like do to help you? And I think that that is just such such a good introduction to who he is of just he's he is a very nice guy and he's he's more than willing to help at any point even though he literally just got there he doesn't know this person Hawkeye's not necessarily being rude to him but he's kind of ignoring him like hey yeah like I don't care who you are I just missed saying goodbye to my best friend um and still BJ is just like can I help you? He's like definitely the golden retriever boyfriend type of thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that this was, like I said, just a very good introduction to who BJ is and who his character will be for the remainder of the show. Yeah. um, I'm very excited to learn more about him because I know that his dynamic with uh, Hawkeye is going to be very different, that he's a very different character. But I really liked this, again, how casual it was, how it wasn't asking you to like him immediately, and how, you know, over the course of this, Hawkeye does warm up to him in a very natural way, Mm -hmm. because, you know, after this, they take him into uh, the officer's club to kind of get a drink and kind of get settled before they, uh, they ship out again to the 4077. And I like that they are you know, committing a bit of fraud with uh, letting a radar (laughs) into this. Uh, And he's just kind of like, oh, okay, this is what's happening. Kind of letting you know subtly that he is more down to clown than, you know, possibly he could be, but without kind of shoving your face into it, you know? I thought this was a very good, like, mischievous introduction to what would become our, our main comedy duo, you know? Yeah, I think that even before the Officers Club 2, BJ was kind of making comments that you see Hawkeye kind of taking a second look at him like, oh, hey, you're you're kind of funny, that type of thing. And I thought BJ was really cute here, too, because he was so hesitant when Hawkeye took his captain's bars off of his uniform and put them on Radar's hat mm-hmm. so that Radar could go into the Officers Club. But he was so like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Aren't we going to get in trouble? But he still just goes along with whatever Hawkeye says because he's mm-hmm. like, well, I'm new here. This guy clearly knows what he's doing. So <laughs> I, I I, really liked that. And like you said, it was more of a subtlety that BJ was going to be on Hawkeye's side rather than Frank and Margaret's side. Um you get that instinctively, you know, by by knowing that this guy's replacing Trapper. So, of course, he's going to yeah. be more on Hawkeye's side. Um, but I thought that it was also interesting. He calls his uh, basic training and whatnot indoctrination. And I yeah, thought that, I was that was also, that yeah, I thought that that was also a very subtle way of introducing what he thinks about the war as well and the war effort. I thought that that was that was a very brilliant, very hushed way to indicate to the audience who BJ is. There's a lot of really great subtlety, I think, within this introduction, how this is him 
acclimating to Korea. Like, we'll talk about it very shortly. I loved him adjusting to the on-the-fly kind of doctoring that they have to do in this very hectic environment, how they throw him into the action kind of immediately and show that he is someone who will adjust to it, but also someone who, you know, isn't quite with the army vibe and, you know, has the capacity to joke with Hawkeye, you know? Yeah, definitely. I thought that it was in this scene in the Officers Club too, you get that first kind of taste that, oh, right, BJ is new and that this whole environment is very jarring and very upsetting to somebody because he hears the planes, the like fighter aircrafts going over Mm -hmm. and he's like ducking and very aware of them. And Radar and Hawkeye and basically everybody else in the officers club at that little place, they are so used to it, I guess, by that point. So Mm -hmm. it was really interesting to see, um, see somebody be in this setting for the first time, because like you said before, we haven't gotten that. They were already kind of settled and more or less used to the environment of being in a war zone by the time we got to these characters in the first episode of the first season. So that is your first kind of indication that this is this is really new blood here. Yeah. And then, you know, they have a little bit of trouble at the officers club, but nothing like major. Just like a guy comes up to radar and it's like, oh, what's going on here? But then when <laughs> they leave... Uh, their Jeep, for no reason that I could discern, was stolen. <laughs> so yeah. they have to steal their own Jeep from like a general. And again, very subtle indication that BJ is like, okay, whatever, man. Uh, I'll roll with uh, throwing some <laughs> regulations to the wind. Let's just get out of here. Yeah, let's steal a Jeep. <laughs> and then, you know, their, their home odyssey begins. And this is where uh, I think the episode splits into the second part. But it's a it's all one story really. Like this yeah, for next sure. episode is kind of all like three scenes, but they're good scenes. So, you know, they're they're Odysseying home and what do you think about all this? So before we get to that, um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about their discussion in the officers club before uh, oh, okay. they start going home. Um, because I think that you you get to know BJ a little bit here. Um, yeah, you, it's true. you start to understand who he is, who he has back home. Like, even with how Hawkeye handles the colonel and not liking the fact that there's this new rank that allows this corporal captain to be in the officers' club and whatnot, BJ is just playing along with it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And you also learn that, you know, BJ has a wife at home, he's right out, he's right out of residency. And he's that a he kid, has a freshly born kid. Yeah, he has a daughter. And oh, I can't wait for him to speak more about that in further episodes because it just it warms mm-hmm. my heart so much. Um, I know that the dynamic between Hawkeye and BJ is very different than the dynamic between Hawkeye and Trapper, largely because BJ apparently is a like faithful man. Like mm-hmm. he loves his wife. He's not going on these uh escapades to to you know fraternize with nurses stuff like that and i like that this establishes very clearly that he has a home life that he was like taken away from that Mm -hmm. he has a freshly born daughter that he can you know no longer see and no longer love um at least you know at home and i i like that again it's not hitting you over the head of saying like, oh, look how different this guy is. But it is establishing these very core character traits 
that make him very unique. And I think he is like a young guy. I think they say he's mm-hmm. like 28 or whatever, which, you know, obviously that's going to shape him going forward that the the army kind of took him away from like his new domestic life and how Hawkeye being this kind of rebel within the system can kind of shape him to be like more of the the fun guy that you know (laughs) we'll see more of yeah I thought it was also interesting um in terms of we didn't really get the acclimation period of all the characters that we knew through seasons one through three and we're kind of getting BJ's backstory about how he found out that he was going Mm -hmm. to be going to Korea and I thought that that was super interesting because, you know, we we hadn't known that uh, with all the other characters. Like, we didn't know how yeah. Hawkeye and Margaret and Frank all knew that they were coming to Korea and what that experience was like for them. So we get that with BJ. And I, I think that, that that was just notable and pretty interesting. Yes. Um, one thing that I did want to mention in terms of being like a repilot kind of reintroduction to the show as a whole is that I like that Hawkeye explains his nickname to BJ mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. that is something that like was mentioned offhandedly in like one episode beforehand but this time he fully is like well my dad loves uh Last Mohican stuff like that stuff that like we know from like years of context of like having the show but something that was never fully explained or never fully introduced within the first season is just brought up here like a proper like character introduction that Mm -hmm. you would have in the first episode of a show. Yeah, and speaking of that too, I thought that it was really interesting to establish like what kind of work they do at the 4077 too, that they do meatball surgery, that the hours are really grueling, but that they have a great success rate. Um, Mm -hmm. And even what Hawkeye says prior to this of just like, oh, you'll learn quickly that everything insane is normal or something along those lines. I think that that was a really good reintroduction of the kind of vibes that you'll get from the MASH unit and the work that they have to do and stuff like that. And I I keep hinting at it, but like I said, that makes the general bliss quote in the beginning so much more impactful and meaningful when he's talking about the kind of work that they do. Um, so I think that in general, I really liked this officer's club scene because I think that you get so much out of it. Yeah. And then we get to see the work that they do because on their way home, um, we run into a couple different like roadblocks which mm-hmm. put BJ to the test and kind of fully introduce him to the very uh, stressful and hectic environment that like working an active war zone is where they come across this uh, this family um, who want to tend to the fields, like tend to their farm, but there's a lot of landmines in that area. So they have uh, the daughters of the family like kind of test for landmines, which is insane. Um, and Hawkeye is like, please don't do that. Like he's screaming at them to get out of the mm-hmm. field. And then one explodes. And I like this as well, that I think a lesser show would have made uh, BJ kind of be the hero here and have him go out into the, the minefield and like rescue this girl. But he's watching as Radar does this. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was great um, because one, it establishes a lot for Radar that like in times of crisis, he will 
uh, step up to be this brave guy, even if yeah. he doesn't quite realize it at the time. <laughs> um, and it is kind of a realistic thing of a guy who's new to this place is going to be more scared than jump into like Captain America mode of being like a cool army hero guy, you know? Yeah, definitely. I thought that I literally got chills when Radar ran into that field. I was like, oh my God. Um, Because I actually had forgotten that that happened. That was, Mm -hmm. that was truly insane that he did that. And I think that it was, uh, it was like a, a piece of commentary as well that these people had so little to rely on for food wise and money wise that it was just this cow that that their children I I don't want to say meant less but um it would just be more detrimental to lose that cow at that point in time than to lose one of their daughters and I think that that Mm -hmm. that is something that is so uniquely mash I think about this episode um it's so harrowing to think about and then of course to have BJ see it like in real time for the first time and Hawkeye mm-hmm. and Radar kind of just being so used to it but still angry about it. I, I It was just, it was a very well done scene and it, it happened so quickly. There's a lot of great contrast with this whole uh, journey home section between uh, the way BJ will react to things and the way that uh, Hawkeye and Radar are kind mm-hmm. of used to everything. But, you know, Hawkeye and Radar are still affected by it but they are more used to it and more like mm-hmm. okay this is the the world we live in where bj literally has just come in and he is like what is this this is insane yeah. like his reaction to the hospital of being like really run down and like not up to snuff he's like oh is every hospital like that and they're like yeah it's unfortunate yeah and speaking of that too, I thought it was interesting because we get we get a little scene cut in with Frank and Margaret. It, it was it was kind of throwaway, not like super important to the plot, but there was this scene where they're taking the wounded girl because the landmine does blow up, and that's when Radar you know runs to get her. They take her to this hospital. The scene where they're coming back from the hospital, and BJ says that right before that, Frank has this voiceover scene, and. He says how lucky that they are to be serving in the Korean War and mm-hmm. to be part of the military and whatnot. And I just thought that it was really interesting to have this type of juxtaposition between what these Korean people have to go through and then in the scenes coming up as well of really just terrible conditions and the uh, being in a war-torn country and then also what the soldiers have to go through and what these doctors have to go through and then Frank saying, oh, it's re- it's really a privilege to be here. It's such a privilege yeah. and stuff like that. And I think that that is, that's our first, for the for this season, that's our first piece of uh, military uh, commentary. And I just, I really thought that it was well done from what we had just seen with the with that family and then what's coming up with these Korean gorillas, uh, that that was a uh, it was quick, but it was really interesting. Yeah, that was uh, this scene where they are they are shot at from Koreans, kind of hiding away in like the uh, the forest or whatever. This was so stressful because they're being shot at and they have no protection and they have to change the tire of the mm-hmm. jeep that they're on, and it's insane. Like, any other show, like, if this was, you know, not a sitcom, if this was a movie, um, they literally all could get, like, shot in the head and just die. Like, there was no protection. 
Yeah. Um, it was wild to see. And it was great contrast with uh, Frank's, uh, you know, playing army man kind of vibe, like kind of mm-hmm. at that safe distance of like, I'm the army man, but he's only ever in this uh, relatively safe environment of the MASH unit where Hawkeye and everyone else are more out there and he's espousing the, the greatness of, you know, the war and they have to live in it. It's one thing that didn't like hit you over the head not overdone but it is great i'm glad that you brought up that point specifically because that is that's some great like writing editing kind of fusion together and you know obviously they're laying it on a bit thick of like the dangers Mm -hmm. of korea but i think it's all very important to kind of introduce bj to the the world and i like that uh radar is like after they get the jeep fixed he has to, like, stop the Jeep. Radar has to stop and get, like, the Jack because he's like, this is a general's Jack. Um, very in character for, for Radar being, uh, you know, not an army brat, but more willing to submit to, like, the army's important. And how everyone else is like, just leave it. There was some good comedy, commentary, drama mix going on in this whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, just the straight irony of Frank being like, yeah, it's a privilege while they're getting shot at. Mm-hmm. Just pretty much sums it up. So at, right after that, too, they're out of danger for about three seconds. And then they come across a kind of a battalion of soldiers kind of just making their way. And I don't know if you noticed it, but this is the first time that Hawkeye says, hey, anybody from Maine here? So Ooh. this now is Hawkeye being from Maine. <laughs> I didn't notice that. I picked up on the the other, uh, I think BJ, where does BJ say he's from? California. I forget. Okay. But I noticed that. I did not uh, register in my brain of like, oh, yeah, yeah. Now he's from good old uh, Crab Cove, Maine (laughs) or whatever. Or Crab Apple Cove. I apologize. But yeah, this seems intense. What do you think about all this? So it was a lot. (laughs) For sure, it was a lot. And this is, like we said before, this is really where you get that BJ is so new to this. um, Because as they're just moseying their way along, shelling starts and bombs are being dropped and whatnot. And they have to take cover. There are people who are bleeding out. There are dead bodies everywhere. And BJ is just so not used to uh, like mm-hmm. this, this capacity, this environment, this danger. And he's not used to there. There's this one part where BJ and Hawkeye are talking as the shelling is happening, and BJ says something like, "Oh yeah, well we have to try to save this guy." After Hawkeye had already kind of flipped him over and realized that he wasn't gonna make it or he was already dead or whatnot, and BJ is just not understanding that they do not have the time, the resources, the equipment, the like safety to try to save this person mm-hmm. as they would in a normal hospital, even like at the 4077, they just don't have it. And this is not yeah. typically how the doctor, how the doctors that we know work, but it's not atypical for them to be in this dangerous situation. Like we saw an aid station. And I think that it was just so realistic for him to roll this guy over to be like, I'm going to save him and then see how he's like torn up and just bloody and probably yeah either dead or close to dead and then go and just vomit. I thought that that was just such a real reaction yeah. to what he was what he was seeing if he was in that 
situation for real and how Radar kind of taps Hawkeye on the shoulder and says, hey, you know, you you have to go deal with him because he's yeah. he's going to have a freak out. <laughs> I really liked that BJ threw up at this point. Um, I felt like that was, especially for like the time, not something you really see on TV. I feel like you don't see people like throw up in just not disgust, but like there's a lot going on of sensory <laughs> overload of yeah. needing to just purge something out of you. It was a little on the nose of him being stressed out, but that that is what happens. Um, and it was a great like point to just fully summarize that like this is a terrifying environment that like he's being thrown into uh, wholeheartedly. And it was a great way to have us be like, okay, this is a normal guy. He's like us, the audience. He will learn this environment, and he uh, he has. Hawkeye to guide him through at this point with uh, him kind of helping out. And speaking of that too, I think that the writers took the opportunity of this introduction of BJ to remind the audience how terrible war is. Um, We were kind of far out from the Korean War and even the Vietnam War at this point. Not not too far. I shouldn't say too far out from the Vietnam War. But um, I know a lot of culturally, a lot of things were like uncovered at this point about the Vietnam War. So I think that the writers took this opportunity to really remind people what people who fought in Korea and Vietnam and any other wars really had to go through and how Mm -hmm. just how terrifying and how ill-equipped they were mentally, emotionally to kind of have to be thrown into that and how realistic it probably was that on someone's first day, they're being shot at, they're being you know, in the mm-hmm. middle of a of a minefield. They're experiencing shelling. I thought that that was, that was just so good for the writers to kind of constantly always be like reestablishing to the audience. Yeah. Hey, this is what these people went through. A great repilot to the show. Like this is a great introduction to what mm-hmm. the show is, how they handle things, even seeing how bloody and uh like explosive everything actually is uh on a half hour comedy budget to see this much like blood and pyrotechnics Mm -hmm. you know clearly they're spending the money where they need to spend it and i imagine showing this right that is something very uh unique for the time yeah definitely definitely one more thing about this as well i i really liked hawkeye's line He says to BJ after he kind of composes himself and pulls himself together and starts working again, Hawkeye says to BJ, the worst part is you'll get used to all of this. Oh, yeah. And I thought that that was really interesting because BJ's reaction to seeing this kind of carnage and whatnot is the normal reaction. And it's not normal for them to be so numb and used to it. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of the scary part of all of it. And I just thought that that put like such a good point on this scene. And then we kind of get the funny version of getting used to it with the next scene, which I thought was like a great counterpoint where they go to this bar. I don't know if it's Rosie's bar. because It they... is Rosie's bar. Oh, is it? Okay. But the next scene, they're in this bar to blow off steam, get a drink. And there's these two guys having the most over-the-top comedic brawl of all time, like throwing themselves through the entire uh, restaurant, through the entire establishment, 
through the table that uh, <laughs> Hawkeye, Radar, and BJ are sitting at. And uh, Radar and Hawkeye don't even flinch. Like, they don't even notice or even care until it's literally through their table. And <laughs> Hawkeye makes, like, an offhanded joke about it. But the entire time, Mr. BJ is incredibly bewildered. Like, this is insane. <laughs> what is going on? Am I going to die? Um, and they don't even care, which is just a great comedy counterpoint to how real and stressful the other scene was that you know everything is stressful but everything you get used to it and it's it's just a funny way to demonstrate that fully without kind of crossing the line you know without saying it too much I thought it was really great yeah I liked how they kind of just (laughs) they kind of just let the visuals of the scene do its job where they didn't say they didn't even make a comment of just like oh yeah that happens all the time or oh you'll get used to that because they had kind of already established that Mm -hmm. in the prior scene um I thought that that was really well done I think I mentioned this before too this line that Hawkeye has in Rosie's bar when he says oh like I feel closer to the people at the 4077 um more so than anybody else or more so than I ever will again. And I felt like that was kind of wrapping up um, Hawkeye's feelings about losing, not, I shouldn't say losing, but having Trapper not say goodbye and whatnot, that Mm -hmm. Hawkeye feels this very close, tight connection to the people that he's sharing these experiences with. Um, And that just, that, that is just to me indication of who, Hawkeye is as a character and um, what he'll be establishing with BJ as well. So I really liked that. And I like that he only ever finally really warms up to BJ once they're finally like all good and drunk. I thought that was very (laughs) funny and like very, uh, you know, like a man thing to do of like, all right, you're all right. Like if I could drink with you, you're all right. Um, Yeah, I definitely. It was really funny. (laughs) I definitely really liked that. It was solidified to Hawkeye and the audience that BJ was going to be, he, he was going to be all right. He's pretty cool yeah. um, that he might be willing to follow the rules a little bit more than Trapper or even Hawkeye are at this point in time, um, but that he is very squarely on Hawkeye's mm-hmm. side of, you know, needing to understanding that you need to, you're going to have to survive this in any way that you can. And I think that all kind of culminated into this final scene where BJ finally meets Frank and Margaret and BJ calls Frank ferret face and just mm-hmm. <laughs> the, collapses. It was just such a great scene. Just so fantastic. That is a great, I don't know if it was the final line. I don't fully remember. But that's a great capper to this whole thing of like <laughs> the tension of, okay, is this new guy going to be cool or is he going to be square? And then immediately uh the like resolution to that is him very drunkenly collapsing onto margaret and saying <laughs> how do you do ferret face oh so it was delightful they they do such a good job with the show you could see that larry linville was really trying not to laugh he was really trying to keep it together in that scene you could see the smirk on his face if you look closely oh my god it, it was really really good absolutely loved it <laughs> but so that was actually not the final line yeah. or scene in this episode. Because um, we get the Avengers-style preview of what's to come. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, I I know that you have liked this previously, and so have I. But I always really like the 
credits where they're introducing everybody or they say who plays who at, mm-hmm. at the very end as the PA announcer. I really, really like that. And, and we get the introduction of Colonel Potter. And I just, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm, I'm excited to see Colonel Potter because obviously we've seen this actor before in the show um, with, I think, the first or second episode of the third season. So it's funny that they bring him back with a, a new character. Um, but I really like this introduction that Radar is like sunbathing and he tells Colonel Potter to like buzz off. And they're immediately like, oh, wait, actually, hang on. You're the guy. Um, Very funny way to bring it in. And it's, you know, a glimpse into the future because that's actually a scene from the next episode, I think. And Mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. The PA announcement being like, we have some new additions or new permanent additions to the 4077 uh, was great. And just, again, big pilot energy, you know, big. Mm -hmm. Here's the show. Here's the status quo. Here's how things are new. Just everybody get used to this new vibe was pretty great. Yeah, and I, I kind of like how it ended on that cliffhanger with Colonel Potter, too, of just like, uh-oh, the the PA announcer says that Harry Morgan is going to be Colonel Sherman Potter and that he is a regular army. So you, immediately you tense up. You're like, uh-oh, what is mm-hmm. that going to mean for these goofballs? Um, So <laughs> I'm so excited to get to that episode. I, I think that that's going to be a really fun one to talk about um and i cannot wait to hear what you think about colonel potter i'm very excited too i feel like i'm gonna like him a lot he seems like my kind of humor from the little bit that i've seen of him (laughs) yeah me too me too okay so i know this wasn't like super line heavy but did you have any favorite lines from this episode either part one or two Yes, I just did lines from both one and two, but I have a I have a good few lines here. I really liked the scene after the Jeep gets stolen that Radar's freaking out because he's the one who checked it out. And he says, listen, I'm responsible. I signed that Jeep out. I'll have to pay for it. And I'm poor. was so <laughs> funny. <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking of which, how funny... Is it that Radar is so concerned about this Jeep that he might have to pay for when he sent a Jeep home in parts? Do you think that he could just get his family to disassemble the Jeep that he sent and then uh, just send it back in parts um, and then it'll just cancel each other out? That would be incredible. Um, (laughs) That would be such a great esoteric payoff to that that joke in one episode that we'll (laughs) never let go of. Um, And I love how it ties kind of into the end of... We didn't we didn't mention this, but at the end of the episode, Frank is like charged with stealing the Jeep, and maybe that's yeah. why a new commanding officer comes in. Mm, hey, think maybe, about that. Maybe. <laughs> so I have to mention this one line that I feel like is so I I don't know if it's iconic, but it's iconic to me because I knew it was coming. Um, <laughs> when Frank is yelling at Klinger when he's having everybody be in formation the first part of the first episode. And he says, oh, Klinger, why are you wearing that hat or whatever? And Klinger goes, it's spring, sir. Just like very like, (laughs) duh, Frank, it's spring. Of course I'm wearing this hat. I also really loved when Hawkeye and BJ are introduced to each other and they're learning about each other. And BJ says, oh, are you married? And Hawkeye goes, someone's going to have to get me pregnant first. Like, Okay. (laughs) It's a very good Hawkeye line. 
with Klinger, one line that I loved from him that is kind of the follow-up to the It's springtime, sir, was Frank says, Klinger, what are those earrings doing in your ears? And he just responds, hanging there, sir. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I love how literal this man is. I know. He's just like, well, the, what you see is what you get. <laughs> so, Vanessa, in this brand new season, do you have any trivia for us? <laughs> yes, I do. So, like I mentioned, there was a quote from General Raymond Bliss in the beginning. So, I have some trivia about him. Right, right. So, Bliss served in the Army from 1913 until his retirement in 1951 and was a military surgeon. From 1947 to 1951, he served as the Surgeon General for the U.S. Army. Um, and Bliss was responsible for assessing the needs of the Army Medical Department during the Korean War. And he encouraged the idea of using helicopters for medevac and brought surgeons in from the civilian sector to train them in the ways of what we hear on MASH all the time as meatball surgery, that type of thing. And his methods for the medical department of the army were what resulted in the lowest death rates of any war in American history at that time between World War One and World War Two. So I just thought it was really interesting that the showrunners put that quote from him in the beginning of this episode because he was such an integral reason as to why these civilian doctors were in the army in the first place and why they were able to save so many people fighting in the war at the time. So I thought that that was just just really interesting. That adds a lot of like authenticity and integrity to the show. Like it it shows that these guys kind of know what they're talking about in terms yeah. of like the medical military history. So that mm-hmm. is really cool because I feel like that's a really obscure person within the the you know history of the army uh if you're not into this kind of hospital stuff you you wouldn't know who that guy is yeah i couldn't even really find a lot of sources on him um when i was looking him up because of course as soon as i saw the quote from him i immediately googled him um so i and there's not too many sources on him so i thought that that was just a really interesting addition to this episode yeah and so I know that it was talked about and featured in this episode a little bit um, with guerrilla warfare. And I'm, and I'm going to put some links uh, for further information to guerrilla warfare in the Korean and Vietnam War uh, for further reading for anyone who's interested. But this trivia section is going to be too long if I include it in this part right here. So I know it'll come up in further episodes. So we'll cover it more in depth there. Okay. And I have some trivia on Wayne Rogers as Trapper John McIntyre because, unfortunately, we will not be seeing him for any more of the show. So I figured this is a good time, as any, to give us a little a little lowdown on Trapper John. Now this is what I'm excited to hear. Please <laughs> enlighten me with the Wayne Rogers trivia. <laughs> okay. So Wayne Rogers was born William Wayne McMillan Rogers III in Birmingham, Alabama. After graduating from high school in Tennessee, Rogers went to Princeton University, which of course he did, because why wouldn't you want to go to college in the great state of New Jersey? It's a good school. (laughs) It is. And he got his degree in history. After college, Rogers joined the U.S. Navy and had plans to go to Harvard Law School before becoming an actor. So again, a man of my heart wanting to go to law school. That's a wild swing. How do you get a degree in history? Go from... I want to be a lawyer to be like, no, no, no. 
I have the acting gene within me. Actually, so he decided to become an actor on a trip to New York when he was still in the Navy, I believe. Um, and he went to see a friend's theater rehearsal and he was like, that's it for me. I'm going to be an actor. So I thought that's that was so cool. cool. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> During his early career before MASH, he did a lot of guest spots on popular TV shows at the time, including Gunsmoke and Gomer Pyle, like in the in the 60s era. Rogers was also in the 1959 film noir Odds Against Tomorrow, in which he was nominated for a Golden Globe. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Decorated man. Rogers is best known for his role on MASH as Trapper, of course, and apparently he left the show because of a contract dispute. It has also been widely rumored that he didn't like being relegated to Hawkeye's sidekick while Alan Alda's character got the more complex storylines and fleshed out his character more. I mean, obviously, we don't know, you know, uh, like what the actual reason was, uh, if it is all just rumors and speculation. But now having read the novel, it is kind of understandable as to why um, he would be frustrated with that because Trapper is so much like the good doctor of the unit. Um, mm -hmm. And in the TV show, it is more Hawkeye. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, for anyone interested in further thoughts about that, you can listen to our episode discussing the MASH book, where it all started. Yes. We'll link that in the description, perhaps. And also, according to one source that I found, Rogers was able to leave so abruptly because he allegedly never signed his contract with the studio because he didn't agree with the morality clause in it. So he never had a valid contract and was able to leave basically on a whim. So that's why it was kind of abrupt and sudden that Trapper was just randomly gone. That's kind of insane. I'm surprised he was allowed to do that from a legal perspective. Yeah, I... I I'll link the, the video to the source that I got that from. I can't say that it's 100% correct, but I thought that that was pretty interesting. Yeah. So after his role in MASH, Rogers was in several other TV shows, including City of Angels, in which he was the main character. And he was also the star in another show called House Calls, in which he played another doctor. And this was probably his best known role outside of Trapper John. And he also guest starred in five episodes of Murder, She Wrote. Oh, we love Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> he was also in a number of movies and TV movies throughout the latter part of the 20th century and into the 2000s, um, including The Hot Touch, The Gig, I Dream of Jeannie 15 Years Later, Frozen with Fear, and Nobody Knows Nothing, which was his last acting appearance in 2003. Okay. Wayne Rogers also produced many plays on Broadway, which I didn't know going into this trivia section in my research. This is This is new to me. Um, even though he never acted in any Broadway plays himself, uh, he did produce a number of them, some including Grown Ups in 1981, the original production in 1983 of Brighton Beach Memoirs, and the 1985 revival of The Odd Couple. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool, right? So besides acting, Rogers also had an extensive financial career during and actually after his acting career. In 1988 and 1990, he testified before the House Judiciary Committee in favor of keeping the banking laws implemented under the Glass-Steagall legislation of 1933 that separated investment banking and commercial banking. And I wanted to explain this a little bit more, but it was too complex for me. So <laughs> y'all are just going to have to look it up yourselves. We'll have to get a financial expert to uh, <laughs> perhaps fill us in on the details. <laughs> 
And Rogers also appeared regularly as a panel member on the Fox business show Cashin' In during the 2000s, and I believe he even hosted his own financial show on the network for a time as well. Um, in 2006, Rogers was elected to the board of Vichy Intertechnology, Inc., which is one of America's largest companies. He was also the head of Wayne Rogers & Co., a stock trading investment corporation. This is a pretty crazy career he's had. He went from history degree to wanting to be a lawyer to being an actor to certified financial, like, dude. That's so fun. I love that he has this massive career outside of acting yeah i mean i knew this going in but i didn't know how really extensive his career was so i thought that, that was pretty cool i i want to find old clips of him on these shows because i just think that yes. that would be like really funny because him as trapper is really the only thing that i know him in so mm -hmm. i just think that that would be so funny to see trapper giving you financial advice would be <laughs> quite the time exactly Rogers received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2005, and unfortunately, Rogers passed away in Los Angeles, California on December 31st, 2015 due to complications from pneumonia. But this man had an amazing, extensive career, and I'm so glad that I got to research his life for this trivia section. Yeah, I'm going to miss him, man. I like Trapper a lot. I mean, I'm excited to discover, uh, you know, the character of BJ. But, like, man, I, I do like the Trapper-Hawkeye dynamic. Yeah, there is definitely something about that dynamic that is just so classic and good and mash-like that I yeah. will for sure miss. I do, I do love the Trapper episodes. I love BJ's character so much. But I will for sure miss Trapper. But... Speaking of BJ, I do have some trivia also about Mike Farrell as Captain BJ Honeycutt. Are you ready for this, Ethan? Yes, I am. Tell me, tell me <laughs> everything. Okay, so Michael Joseph Farrell Jr. was born in 1939 in St. Paul, Minnesota and grew up in Hollywood, California. After graduating from high school, Farrell served in the United States Marine Corps for three years. And he began his acting career in the 1960s and had guest roles in several notable series at the time, including Lassie, The Monkees, and I Dream of Genie. Everybody was on I Dream of Genie, I think. Like, if you go back far enough, I feel like a lot of people have guest starred on that show specifically. Yes, and Murder, She Wrote as well. Yeah. I know we kind of glossed over Wayne Rogers being in Murder, She Wrote, but I, I can't stress enough that basically everybody in mash has also been on murder she wrote <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to check that out maybe we'll do a maybe we'll do a murder she wrote bonus episode of different episodes that mash alumni have been on yes because there's so many it's so much fun anyway okay so it's it was always a little treat for me to see the the mash cast while i was watching murder she wrote so we we should we should talk about that a little bit more yes so anyway <laughs> um Again, before MASH, Farrell was the main character in the soap opera The Days of Our Lives, which is still ongoing, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. And I am I believe he originated one of the characters in the show as well. So crazy. That's really cool. That is kind of wild. Other shows Farrell did before MASH include The Interns, The Man in the City, Canon Bonanza, The Six Million Dollar Man, and Marcus Welby, M.D., they always play doctors, just different versions of doctors in different shows. <laughs> yeah. And as we know, in 1975, Farrell came to MASH as BJ Honeycutt, which made him a household name. And spoiler, I guess, but he'll be with us for the rest of the series. He was in the rest of the series of MASH. <laughs> That's good to know. 
After MASH, Farrell guest starred in several TV shows, including Coach, Murder, She Wrote, like we said, and Matlock. Cool. We love that. (laughs) He also did voice acting as Jonathan Kent in the Superman animated series in the late 90s, which I thought that that you would appreciate. Oh, I love that show, actually. I didn't know that he was the voice in it. That rules. Yeah. Farrell also made guest appearances in movies like Lockdown and Killer Within, as well as appearing in some TV movies. And so I should say, I didn't know this about Mike Farrell going in, and I was elated to find this out. So, in 1985, Farrell partnered with film and TV producer Marvin Minoff and created the Farrell Minoff Production Company. And most notably, the pair were the executive producers on the 1988 Orion Pictures film Dominic and Eugene, which is one of my favorite movies. Oh, I had no idea. I've never heard of that film. Oh, my God. It's so good. If anybody knows the movie, it was like it was a little tiny movie. I think I think one of the actors in it won a Golden Globe, actually. But it was it it was such a good movie. And Ethan, if you watch it, you will know why it's very close to my heart. (laughs) Okay, we'll have to talk about that uh, off mic, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's so good. And the two also produced Patch Adams, which starred Robin Williams. Oh, no, that's super cool. I love Robin Williams. <laughs> it's probably one of his uh, more well-known movie roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So outside of MASH, Farrell's most notable role was in the NBC drama Providence, in which he played the main character's father. And later in his career, and more recently, Farrell guest starred in shows like Desperate Housewives, Law & Order SVU, which is, the episode he's in is so good. I would love for you to watch it. Oh boy, um, okay. <laughs> he was also in Supernatural, American Crime Story, and most recently in 2019, he was in two episodes of NCIS. Wow, he's very active, well, maybe not very active, but fairly active in like modern TV shows. That's kind of fun to see. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, anytime that he pops up in like a guest spot on a a 2000s show that I like, I'm always very, very into it. (laughs) That's super fun. So besides acting, Farrell also has a long history of activism. So for a period of time, he was the co-chair for the California Human Rights Watch. He is a founder and current president of the nonprofit organization Death Penalty Watch, and he received PETA's Humanitarian Award in 2001 after he did a public service announcement for animal abuse. Oh, we love that he's also a good dude. That's so nice to hear. Also, in 1985, Farrell went to El Salvador to help with the humanitarian effort due to the ongoing civil war in El Salvador, and he actually assisted in a surgery while he was there, which that's so cool. Whoa. Yeah. Leading into real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like amazing. Farrell is also really active in the Screen Actors Guild, and he was elected first vice president for the Los Angeles Screen Actors Guild in 2002, and he served in the position for three years. He also served on the board for the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so pretty cool guy. We love the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, we love good unions in this, this town. <laughs> Yes, we do. Cool to see. So also an interesting and like fun fact, Farrell's daughter's name is Erin, which is the same name of BJ's daughter in MASH. And Farrell's wife at the time, Judy Farrell, was also an actress and played guest spots as a nurse in the show. Oh, that's so fun. I love stuff like that. That's my favorite kind of guest star trivia. Me too. Me too. 
And Farrell is still alive today. I believe he's residing in California, and he is 84 years old. Him and Alan and Alda he's are still, going strong. Yes, I was just going to say, he is still besties with Alan Alda, and they did that one episode of Alan Alda's podcast uh, together where they acted out the chat GPT uh, episode of MASH, so <laughs> I can't wait to read that. There's new MASH content out there. We just have to go listen to a podcast for it. Ain't that a delight? <laughs> so good. So good. Okay, so Ethan, I felt like this episode was a little bit hard to give a martini rating to, but mm-hmm. uh, holistically with the part one and part two, what martini rating would you give to this episode? I mean, I thought this is pretty good. And obviously the way we've talked about this, we had a very good time discussing it. So I have to say, like, for what this episode is trying to do as an introduction to BJ and kind of a reintroduction to the show, I I might have to go five out of five. Like, I really have no problems here. I think it works for what it's attempting. So, like, that's all I ever really want from an episode of MASH to be, like, a very clear identity, you know, and this has a very clear job to do. And I think it succeeds. Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, objectively, I would say that this episode probably out of my just like general enjoyment would be like a three out of five. Um, I think that just in terms of trying to do this introduction is so hard, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. I think and I think that they really hit it out of the park with this one. Um, But But three out of five. (laughs) No, but in terms of like, like, I would agree with you that with what they're attempting here, just like the magnitude of how different this series is going to be going forward, I would say it's like a five out of five. They really did this introduction great. Just in terms of just a general MASH episode, I would say it's a very like three out of five, 3.5 out of five, just in general enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that, okay. that that's me. I respect that. I respect that. I disagree, but I respect it. <laughs> <laughs> we love a disagreement on MASH mouth. It rarely happens, but we, we love it when it does. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So just to wrap up, we'd like to give thanks to Jacob Burabalgo for being our technical consultant, Melissa, my sister, for cover art, and of course, our listeners. Thank you so much. Our music, social media, and contacts for the show are linked in the description as always. And join us next week for season four, episode three, Change of Command. But until then, steal a general's Jeep and blame it on Frank Burns. (laughs) Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Bye, everyone. Okay. (laughs) So much. So much. Okay. This is why I couldn't do Harry Morgan because Harry Morgan also had a very extensive career. And I was like, I can't do another extensive career deep dive into Mm. these people.